in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? The Raiders have signed quarterback Kyle Slaughter. Practice squad quarterback with Marcus Mariota out and Derek Carr. Hurt, but likely to play on Sunday. My only question, what happened to Case Cookus? I don't know where the Cookus kid went. Where's Case Cookus? I would have thought... Well, they, were, they took Peterman on the uh, on the active roster, so they weren't going to have another quarterback. But the Cookus kid, I don't know where he is. Right. Have you ever heard of Kyle Slaughter? No. Yes. Oh, you have? Yes. He is a preseason legend. He has, for like the last three years, if he was starting in week four of the preseason. That's who you bet? You would just, yeah, just hammer the over. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, it was just literally. So this is another a, Raiders quarterback who will throw downfield. Yeah, but he can't make a roster to save oh, his well. life. But every year, week four of the preseason, Kyle Slaughter is suiting up for somebody. He's been on a lot of practice squads. He has. Pretty much the only thing yeah. he's been. Jared, he has only played in one preseason ever. Oh, 2017. Okay. All right. Well, then I was completely off base, and I have a different guy in mind. Joe Slaughter, not Kyle Slaughter. He has been on a lot of practice squads. Though. He has been on a lot of practice squads. Went to Southern Miss in Northern Colorado. How were his preseason numbers? Uh, he in one game he was thirty-one of forty-three for four hundred and thirteen yards. That might be what Ooh. I what I was referring to. Was Northern Colorado one of those FCS teams that beat UNLV? Yeah. Or was no? Can, can, can we just say yeah anytime? No, <laughs> that was the one UNLV beat by a point, right? Okay, they won that game, I but think, it was Northern Colorado. Yeah, I think that was the one. I wonder UNLV, if this kid was the quarterback. I gotta check. <laughs> that was the one that finished like thirteen to twelve, and I yeah. think UNLV won that one. But that we'll, we'll have to check. Maybe Strong he was the quarterback. There's a chance he was the quarterback. Let's see here. Uh, yes, that is the one. Oh. UNLV. No, no, he won 13 to 12. He was Slaughter was not the quarterback. Okay. Oh. No. But uh, UNLV won the game. UNLV won 13 to 12. Wow. Uh, Northern Colorado had a safety in the fourth quarter to make it a one point game. All right. Jeez. Well, don't they always? Man, you know that's a great question. Mookie Betts gave a Reds fan a signed bat. So TJ Friedel hit his first career home run for the Reds. Uh, Mookie Betts asked the Reds fan that caught the ball to throw the ball back. And the fan did. And then in the next half inning, Betts walked out there with a signed bat and gave it to the fan. Uh, So Mookie Betts. Good for Mookie. Good for Mookie understanding what was going on there. Yeah. Usually guys are so wrapped up in themselves. In other words, he wouldn't even think, oh, it's his first career home run. Who the hell's that? Yeah. I don't know who that is. Good for him. He plays for the Reds. Yeah. Uh, Dodgers still one game back in the NL West? Yeah, they're one game back. Fifty. So, that, that percentage now has come back. I saw it uh, on the Sports Center yesterday. It's now 50.3% that they're giving them the edge in the uh, West. It's just slight, they slight gonna, edge. They're going to get it? No, because the pods the won't West? come through for me. You know this. The pods, won't the pods, come the, pods the Giants are back in the pods tonight. That's not going to happen. All right. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get you in trouble by asking you this question. How <laughs> Wait, do you feel about on. Cody Bellinger having a broken rib? Can he be worse? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gavin Lux is back now, so 
that helps because he's actually back and hitting really well. Um, so belly to the bench. Uh, and belly he's got he's belly to the bench, and he's got the reason now because he broke his rib. I am excited. How did he? It had to be like I lost over the weekend. Someone told me this. It had to be him swinging through a fastball and breaking. Oh, his I rib. don't actually know how. I he have did no it. idea how this guy broke his. I mean, he didn't hit the ball, <laughs> so it must have been swinging as hard as he could, and like the rib snapped. I am excited for Dave Roberts to put broken rib Cody Bellinger into the lineup in the wild <laughs> yes. card game, World Series. Here comes yes. Gibby. No, no, the wild card <laughs> game. The wild card game <laughs> against the Cardinals oh, is that Cody Bellinger's got to get in there with his oh. broken rib. You got to put him in. He's yeah. great defensively. Yeah, exactly. That's the only thing you can say about him now. He's great defensively. Dave Roberts afterwards, they lose three two. Belly was due. Thought he was due. Yeah, because he's hit one eighteen for the entire year. <laughs> I'm out. Qatar is trying to make all players be vaccinated for the 2022 World Cup. Uh, they have already announced anybody that's attending the games in next November are going to have to be fully vaccinated. Qatar as a country is at 82% for its vaccination rate. The only question now is, will FIFA actually require the players to be vaccinated to play in the World Cup? I'm going to say FIFA does not do that. I don't know if they will or not. I guess it depends on exactly how much they think Cutter can sort of weigh on them going on into this World Cup. But here's the thing. I think if you're FIFA, you can do it. Sure you can. I can't imagine there is going to be a soccer player that misses the World Cup because they refuse yeah. to get vaccinated. I just, I just can't imagine a soccer player would. And if they do... Okay. Well, it's their tournament. They can require it, right? Right. FIFA can do whatever they, can do they want. Whatever they want. Yeah. But I just, I have a hard time believing that you're going to have any any player no. on whatever country in the world that's a no. soccer player for their national team that qualifies for the World Cup who won't get vaccinated. That says, nope, I'm not. I'm going to miss the World Cup yeah. because I refuse you. I just so I think FIFA could do it, and I don't think it would be a big deal at the end of the day. I think it'd be like, yeah, everybody's going to get it if they haven't gotten it already. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. Carson Wentz sprained both ankles on Sunday, which is one of the funniest injury reports I've ever heard, that he sprained both of his ankles. This gets a disaster in a lot of ways. <laughs> he may not play My Sunday goodness. against the Titans because of his two ankle sprains. How do you... Well, I guess, I mean, you sprain, uh, Derek Carr sprained one and stayed in the game. So yeah. I guess the next series you can Spray, do the next. Sprained one and play through Man. it. Oh, God. That's the other ankle. It's two MRIs. Yeah. Carson is questionable. He had two MRIs. One on each ankle today, <laughs> like the Derek Carr. He had an MRI. He's questionable. It's, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of injuries in football. A lot of quarterback injuries. A lot with Carson Wentz. Too. Carson Wentz. We got Tua potentially out. Andy Dalton potentially out. Derek Carr got hurt but came back in. Like, a lot of quarterback injuries. Not always a bunch of good quarterbacks getting hurt, but a lot of quarterback injuries. Jacob Eason against the Titans. No. Let's see what that Wait, line is. Wait, is it Eason, through. not uh, no, Sam Ellinger? No, Eason's number two. Sam oh, Ellinger's number what three. What happened to Ellinger? He, according to this, he, uh, Eason uh, beat him out. That's disappointing. Yeah. What do you think? The Texans will not make Deshaun Watson active this week. Tyrod Taylor is expected to be out for a while with a hamstring injury. Tyrod Taylor, by the way, in week two was 10 of 11 before he got hurt. Davis Mills is the backup. Came in, was 8 of 18 after Tyrod was hurt. We've talked a lot about Deshaun Watson. He obviously has the 20-plus um, alleged sexual assaults against him by masseuses. But 
That is an ongoing investigation, ongoing potential criminal case there. The NFL has not ruled anything on Tyrod Taylor. The Texans are just, he's just on the active roster, but not playing. If the I NFL mean, hasn't ruled anything, should the Texans basically say, all right, we're playing Deshaun Watson? I think they know the minute they say that he's going on the suspended list. That helps them, though. Then he doesn't have to be on the true. active roster. They get an active, yeah, they get a roster true. spot. Don't you think, it. though? I think the NFL's just waiting around for them to say he's playing. No, he's not. Yes. So basically, the NFL's using the Texans as a shield and saying, yeah, you guys. You have to make the decision. Right. I guess, but I, I don't think you. If they made him active right now, I don't think he'd play on Thursday night. I can't. Here, okay, I cannot understand why the NFL does not have him on the commissioner's list yet, because the, that this exists exactly for the Deshaun Watson case. Mm-hmm. When you have somebody who has allegations against them, but the investigation's not done, there hasn't been any criminal, you know, actual verdict or right. anything against them. Trevor this Bauer. is the exact reason why yeah. this list exists. So the NFL can put guys on it that they're like, all right, listen, you've been accused of some bad crap. We got to investigate it. We're going to let the uh, actual law enforcement investigate it, whatever. But until then, you're not playing for it. The same because, thing with Trevor Bauer. Right, I can't comprehend yeah. why he's not. That, that This is why the list exists. They have this list specifically for this type of instance. And the Texans just have to burn an active roster spot because the NFL hasn't used it. I, I don't get it. I don't know yeah. why he's not. So if I was the Texans, I'd. I'd sort of force the NFL's hand and say, he's playing. Unless you take him out, he's playing. I think they take him out immediately. Happy to move on to the the next question here, Aaron. Andy Dalton will be the Bears quarterback if he is healthy. So did you you see how this played out? QB1. Matt Nagy was answering questions, and he was asked, if if, uh, Andy Dalton is healthy, is he your starting quarterback? And Matt Nagy refused to answer the question. And he said, I'm not going to get into schematics with you. And the reporter said, that's not scheme. That's just who the hell your starting quarterback is. And Matt Nagy said, yeah, it is. That's schematic. So he refused to answer the question. In terms of who the opponent would be preparing for. I guess. I mean, I'm trying to get in his head. But he refused to answer the question, will Andy Dalton be your starter if he's healthy? Then... Uh, who wrote it? Brad Biggs tweeted out that like 20 minutes later, Bears PR came into the media room after the press conference and said, hey, just to clarify, Andy Dalton is the starter <laughs> if he's healthy. <laughs> what a disaster. I I can't understand exactly what know. they're doing there. Like, what? why? What? Why? Why is, why is he being like confrontational and why are they just not playing Justin Fields? Why are they giving Justin Fields a few random snaps in games, even when Dalton's healthy? Like, I don't get what they're doing there. Just play Justin Fields. Just put him in the game. Uh, it's They've it's such studying. a reach with this schematic. I saw schematic, and I said, is that how Jared Pick scores for us? Is that categories? Scorigami. Yeah. Score, oh, scorigami. What if he said that? It's like, well, it's a scorigami. I can't tell you. See, the joke I was going to go is uh, Nagy's been watching uh, – Marcus Arroyo uh, coach. It's like, you know, you got to get all the quarterbacks. Yeah, everyone all. everyone needs some snaps. Everyone needs some snaps. All hands on deck. All right, coming up <laughs> next, Hercules Gomez joins the show ahead of the League's Cup final in Vegas. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. 
Coming Wednesday to Las Vegas, it's the League's Cup Final. Leon and Seattle Sounders out at Allegiant Stadium, a 7 o'clock start time. And joining us now is Hercules Gomez. Hercules, how are you today? Hello, Hercules. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So I, I do want to ask you in the big picture, how big do you think this tournament and these games are for Major League Soccer, basically as a proving ground to, hey, we can catch up and we can compete with Liga MX in these international tournaments? Yeah, it's a great question. Because usually they ask about the differences in the leagues, of why we're having this. I think it's important for Major League Soccer in the sense of they've never really won or haven't won in this current format, the CONCACAF Champions League, when it comes to teams in Central America, teams in Mexico. They've never won that club format. Um, I think it's something like 16 editions in a row where Liga MX has come out on top, uh, the Mexican club. So this is a, another opportunity um, to prove that the distance is closing, that gap isn't so big as, as everybody thinks. And the last three, four editions, we see Major League Soccer clubs consistently making it to the final, consistently beating um, Liga Mekis clubs, but they've yet to win that trophy. Well, the Seattle Sounders are one of those teams for many years, and I actually played on Santos Laguna when we played Seattle Sounders in a quarterfinal and a semifinal in the CONCACAF Champions League, and they could never beat us. Well, guess what? The Seattle Sounders just beat Seagat as one of the best teams in, in uh, all of Mexico and just beat Santos Laguna. So they got that monkey off their back, and now they're going to play in a final against Leon, who's had their own set of issues when it comes to international tournaments. So it, it's another proving ground, as you said, for Major League Soccer to try to, to beat these Mexican clubs in an ever-evolving ro- uh, rivalry, whether it's club or national. We especially see it in the CONCACAF Champions League when you got to play the home-and-home home legs. Why do you think it's so hard for MLS teams to go to Mexico or Central America and get good results? Salary cap. Um, the Mexican League is one of the richest leagues in the Americas. Um, you guys would be surprised, but the most watched league in the States um, isn't the Premier League, isn't La Liga, it isn't even the Champions League. It's Liga MX. It's not even close. They consistently outdraw every other soccer league here in the States. The most followed um, team in the States is, is the Mexican national team. So the amount of money, attention, money, interest that they can draw is insane. So they can they can have better quality on the field. And when you're, for lack of a better word, hamstrung by, by the salary cap versus a team that has unlimited spending, it, it's very difficult. And in Major League Soccer, um, because of the salary cap, you have these de- designated players that can make over the salary cap, but a certain amount will still count towards the salary cap. Well, you completely have to knock it out of the park with these players because if not, if one player isn't performing well, if he's sick or he's injured or suspension or whatever it may be, it's it's like playing a man down almost. So you have all these certain limitations that Major League Soccer, they themselves impose, and, and now go into a, what really is an un, uneven playing field, and, and these Mexican clubs have unlimited spending to, to whatever their club wants to spend. I mean, you're talking about rosters. Some of these rosters are over. $75 million worth of players, and, and you're, you're competing against, I think Philadelphia was 23 or 27 at $9 million in Major League Soccer. Uh, Hercules, wanted to ask you about MLS, and the rumors have been around for a while now, uh, either down to the Cashman site, now Allegiant, build their own stadium. Uh, you know Vegas, you know soccer in Vegas. How would an MLS team fit here? The same way the Knights fit in Vegas, the same way the Aces fit, NASCAR fits, you know, the same way the Raiders fit. They fit because it's Las Vegas. They fit because Vegas is dying for something that's their own. They fit because if I'm a fan in New York, in Los Angeles, you know, anywhere in the continent of the United States, and I can't watch my team play locally, 
and I got to pick what away game would you would you want to go to? Just any game you can go to. It's going to be Las Vegas every single time. Las Vegas could, today has the infrastructure to host any major sporting event in the world. Any. You need a hotel, you got it. You want nightlife, you got it. You want a good show, you got it. You want world class cuisine, you got it. That's something for everybody. It just makes sense. So I think it's a logical step in 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 Las Vegas maturation when it comes to soccer. I I grew up playing soccer in Southern Nevada um, at a youth level. I grew up playing soccer at an amateur level. Um, the interest is there. The talent level is there to to exploit. I, I can't be the only player in the history of Southern Nevada to play a World Cup. It, you know, that there's more talent than that. So I, I think Major League Soccer. Um, is a natural progression to this. And, and I'm excited that there aren't just one group. There are multiple groups, ownership groups, trying to bring a team to Las Vegas. There was even a rumor, was, I shouldn't say rumor, it's an actual report from The Athletic that Jorge Messi, Lionel Messi's father, was in Las Vegas with the commissioner, Don Garber, the Major League Soccer commissioner, and some other representatives of uh, Major League Soccer interested trying to bring a team to Las Vegas. So, you know, interest is there. It's an unbelievable city, and it just makes sense to me. We have Wes Edens, who owns the Bucks and part of Aston Villa. Bill Foley, the Golden Knights owner. Maybe Seth Klarman, who's been trying yeah. to get the Cashman site down there. So we've got the multiple groups here. Do you think this happens? Like Sacramento dropped out. They're not getting an expansion team right now. Do you, do you think it happens? Do you think Major League Soccer does come to Vegas soon? Yeah, but it's got to be the right plan. It's got to be the right stadium build. It's got to be the right plan. It's got to be the right ownership. I've spoken to Don Garber numerous times. I know he's very keen on Las Vegas. Listen, it's very hard to to ignore, to not see what's going on. The Golden Knights absolutely crushed it. Um, I, I think they provide the model uh, for Las Vegas sports franchises. And here you have the Raiders uh, coming there. You, you see the, the attention, the draw. Uh, you had League's Cup last year. You had the Gold Cup final this year. You got League's Cup again. It, it just makes sense. I think they see the value in Las Vegas as an event city. Um, but not just events once in a while. You can have weekly events the same way you have weekly tourism and, and weekend you know, uh, gatherings for, for clubs or for concerts or, or artists or et cetera. You can have for Major League Soccer. You mentioned the right stadium build. What do you think the right stadium is for a Major League Soccer team in Vegas? I, I, Cashman would be great if you could if you could do something on Cashman's site. That would be ideal. I think uh, on strip would be great. Um, you know, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders have a, an amazing stadium. Uh, Legion Stadium is amazing. Um, it's a little off strip, so it makes it a little difficult. And, and I think there's still some iron or some things to iron out. But it's definitely a place where where I think uh, fans would, would love. So anything close to what is the strip where you keep tourists where you keep locals or you keep it easy access, I think would make sense. And, and for me, I think the Cashman site is the place to go. Uh, national team, a shaky start to the qualifiers. I wanted to uh, ask you to bring us up to date and what you think is happening with the team and going forward, how good they can be and, and what's going on with them in your mind right now as they go through these qualifiers. Well, it's interesting because it's, I don't even think it's arguably, I think it's, it's the deepest player pool you've ever had. The first time you've got, Twelve players playing in the Champions League, a wealth of talent, right? Um, but these players are all young. They're all U20, U23 players. Christian Pulisic just turned 23 years of age. He's already won Champions League, um, and and they're gaining experience. But none of them are really the man on their team. They're still trying to crack in those lineups. They're still trying to be that that go-to player. 
and, and with the national team, they've not really done anything. You had a good summer where you beat Mexico twice. But Mexico on the world level um, is just like the States. You know, it's, it's a World Cup participant. They get to the second round, and that's about it. So you would say like mid-table, if anything. So these players need to accumulate that, that experience. Um, there's something to be said about playing in this region. I, I can tell you from playing in this region, when you go to San Pedro Sula or Salvador and the grass is up to your knees, and, and it's, like, <laughs> it's like 110 degrees and it's 90% humidity and, and the ball doesn't travel and then there's crazy conditions. I played in a cricket stadium <laughs> in Antigua in, in a monsoon in a must-win game, and it's ugly, and it's cagey, and it's, and it's not what you would expect. It's not the billiards table, you know, soccer field you're used to playing on, and it's not these, you know, uh, very, very um, casual crowds. You know, sometimes it could be hostile. So it's very difficult. It's, it's something new for these players. They drop points at home versus Canada, which was a surprising thing for me. Even though Canada's got a very good program right now, playing away is difficult if you can – if you can steal points away, you're on the right track. But dropping points at home, that's a no-no, and that's something that the U.S. Men's National did the last go-around that put them behind the eight ball. All right, so cricket field, you said grass up to your knees. What's the worst field you played at as a member of the U.S. Men's National Team? That, that cricket field, that cricket stadium was, <laughs> was something else. It was, uh, it was before the hexagonal. So the hexagonal was the six teams that would, that would you know, challenge for four spots in the World Cup, three direct and one playoff. Um, and it was before that. It was qualifying before that with Jurgen Klinsmann, and we almost didn't qualify. We ended up winning in 2014 the, the World Cup cycle. We were first place in the World Cup cycle, but most people don't remember it. We almost didn't qualify to the hexagonal. We had to win in Antigua, and it was just insane. I mean, there were puddles uh, all <laughs> over the field. The ball couldn't travel. Um, you know, you know what? I, I take that back. I actually played in a snow classic over versus Costa Rica and Denver. Ah. You had to juggle the ball to advance it. That would be <laughs> Well, he is Hercules <laughs> Gomez. Hercules, we appreciate it. The League's Cup final is coming to Las Vegas on Wednesday. Seattle Sounders against Leon. Hercules, thank you very much Thanks, for joining Hercules. us. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. There you go. Snow classic. It's a great... So, uh, the game he's talking about, they played Costa Rica in a World Cup qualifier, and because it was Costa Rica, we put it in Denver. And a blizzard hit, like, the day of the game. And not even the day of the game, like, during the game. Like, it wasn't even, like, snowing before the game. And they play, they had to play through snow. Coast, play Costa Rica was furious. <laughs> they were fu- yeah. They wanted to, like, postpone the game. Because they're like, listen, we've never seen no, this before exactly. in our lives. Exactly. Why a, is this white discharge? Why is the white stuff coming from the heavens? We're not playing a soccer game in this. We played it. We beat them. It was great. We should do that to all of the teams. Just bring everyone to Denver should, in December. Yes, Denver and Minnesota and like Buffalo. That's North where we Dakota. Play all of our games because they've never seen snow. <laughs> we got to go. Like he said, they got to go play in like Antigua in a cricket stadium that's full of puddles. Make them play in the snow. We should do it every time. Stop giving them like some nice place to play. All right. Coming up next, Charles McDonald joins the show. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. I just think people like to say a lot of and it's nice to come back in here after a game like that. I just told them I don't want to see that. 
So they come in. I'm not that type of person. I'm not a negative person. I'm all about going to work. I want guys that are resilient, that are willing to go back to work. They love ball. They're going to clean up their mistakes. And those are the guys I'm looking for, man. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Who dropped a better uh, F-bomb there, Rogers or Dan Campbell? Please be joined now, though. Follow him on Twitter at Forverts, F-O-U-R. It's Charles Robinson for the win. Charles McDonald, excuse me, I'm I'm completely confused. Charles, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Zach? Good. Uh, did we overshoot the overreaction on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? Uh, yeah. Like, every team, even a former MVP, has bad games. Uh, I think it was definitely jarring to see him be, and like the whole team, just be that awful uh, against the Saints. Uh, but it, they just they have enough talent on offense to you know to bounce back. And Rodgers was great last night. And you know, obviously, uh, playing the rebuilding Detroit Lions helps too. So yeah. you know, we'll see what this looks like for the rest of the season. But yeah, I, I would expect more their performances to look more like last night uh, than the Saints. I mean, the, the the fact that the Saints were able to hold Aaron Rodgers to three points, 130 yards, two picks, like. When you look at the totality of Aaron Rodgers' career, and especially what he did last year, that's just such an extreme outlier. You can't really count on that to happen again until he's like just about to retire. Is he afterwards? He, I mean, I, I'm sure he loves this stuff. And you heard him afterwards. I love to come in here when when doing this. Is he inspired by different things? Does he just want to win and, and get out of there? It seems like week to week he's kind of sullen, and he comes in last week. He loves last night. He loves people uh, proving them wrong. Like, what do you make of him recently when you hear his comments? Like after a game after that. I think he wants to win badly in Green Bay. Like, I think he wants to win and dip. Uh, I think he wants to win and, and show everybody that, you know, he is the man and they made a mistake by not respecting his wishes, I guess, all these years. And uh, he, he just kind of seems driven by, you know, proving to people that he was uh, right all along and that the Packers should have listened to him more. Uh, I don't know if that's the case because, like, he's a man of Randall Cobb, which is, kind of weird like at this point in his career i don't really know how much he's offered and he, he's not playing all that much for the packers but uh rogers i mean rogers is definitely someone who, who's driven sometimes by uh maybe purpose, personal motivations like all of us can be uh and if he's serious about leaving great day after the season which it definitely seems like he is then uh you know why not go out with a bang and remind him everybody how good you are before you leave and uh, they have to watch you play for another team two weeks in Derek carr is your mvp reaction Hey, he's been good. Uh, <laughs> and he's been good. Uh, and he did it against the Steelers uh, defense the other day, which it basically shut down Buffalo's offense. And we'll see what happens with Buffalo throughout the season. But uh, you know, this, this, the marriage between Gruden and Carr, at, at least like on the field, I, I think has gotten kind of underrated over the past few years. Like when you just look at the numbers, like uh, the Raiders have had one of the more efficient passing attacks in the league since. Uh, you know, since Carr and Gruden kind of got together and figured out how to work with each other uh, on the field. But, you know, unfortunately, I think that uh, uh, John Gruden, the GM, kind of gets in the way of John Gruden, the play caller sometimes. Uh, because, you know, when you look at what John Gruden's running, like a lot of it, it, it we didn't know what it was going to look like when he came back. But clearly he's a, a guy that's been studying, like, new age offenses and uh, adapting his old stuff to the new version of the NFL. And, and that's working out well. And, and Carr seems to be 
uh, you know, adjusting well to that. So, yeah, I, I think that Carr has gotten to a place, at least in, like, national media where he's underrated. And, like, he'll still have his bonehead plays, but I think people have to remember when you're looking at quarterbacks, it's not just, like, the most recent primetime game you saw or, uh, you know, that, that one bad play that kind of sticks with you. you got to look at the whole picture. And I think it, it, it's, it's fair to say that Derek Carr is a pretty good quarterback, and, uh, maybe, maybe you can build a team around him. I don't know if like Gruden and Mayock are the guys to do that, but uh, he's good enough to to play winning football. It's Charles McDonald uh, at for the win at four verts on Twitter. Okay, and and that's interesting. We want to stay with Carr just for a second here because in the past we didn't know if it was he just didn't want to turn the ball over. He was worried about that. If it was his ego, now they can't run the ball right now, and we know about the offensive line. But he's third right now, as you know, in terms of length of his completions. I think he's got several down the field of twenty or more. Like, do you think he's just changed his mindset? Do you think he's like, look, we can't run the ball, so I might as well chuck it down? He just never was that quarterback for seven or eight years. Maybe in sixteen when they went to the playoffs where he was going to take a ton of chances now he kind of seems like he's okay with that yeah i, I think it, it might just be like a comfortability thing as you age and the, the weird thing about car is he's always had the arm talent to be uh you know a, a, an effective downfield thrower he just wasn't always doing that and you know you, you would see him and he, he's just dinking and dunking and and when he tries to go downfield if he had the time and and wasn't rattled by the pressure you know, most of those balls look pretty good. I mean, the, the pass he threw to Henry Ruggs the other day was just yeah. you know, a, a perfect pass. And he's always had a strong arm, always had good deep accuracy, I, I, to me at least. And it just wasn't something that he utilized. Maybe this is just him saying, you know, I got to kind of grow up and be the face of this team. If I'm going to do that, I got to take more chances. And then he realized, oh, wow, like I can kind of do this stuff. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how this goes uh, throughout the rest of the season because. You had the performance against the Ravens, who are banged up, uh, played well. You had a stiffer test against the Steelers uh, at you know 10 a.m. Western time or Western time, Pacific time. Yeah, uh, and he played well. So I I think that people should be maybe a little bit higher on the Raiders uh, than they have been coming into the season. We gave tears before you came on onto which team in the NFC has the best chance of knocking off Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. We pretty much started with the entire West. Uh, and then we talked about Dallas and, and Washington. Who has the best team? Who, who has the best chance? I know it's two, we're two weeks in. Have you seen something from other teams that they would be the best one when it comes to knocking this team off? Uh, I think the Rams might have uh, the best chance. Like, and really, all those teams in the NFC West are uh, like legit playoff contenders. I mean, the Cardinals, Kyler Murray is playing out of his mind. Uh, Russell Wilson's playing great football again, too. But when you look at where Matthew Stafford and the Rams are, he's he's come in and picked up that offense right away. Uh, didn't play in the preseason. Came out, uh, torched the Bears, played pretty well against the Colts, too. So, like, McVay has a quarterback now that allows him to expand from the play playbook. And, you know, like, Jared Goff had he definitely has productive years there. I mean, there were a couple of years where he was like top five, top 10 and, and passing efficiency stats. Uh, but when you watched him play, it was like, ah, oh, like there's still some meat left on the bone here, which is, you know, it's kind of hard to conceptualize in the time because you're seeing all these great numbers. Like you, you remember that game, I think it was the Rams against the Vikings on like Thursday night football a couple of years ago. And golf just got just blacked out through for like 380 yards or four touchdowns or something like that. And you see the production, but then when you see him do quick game stuff, uh, stuff in the gun. Uh, it, it just didn't always come together for him. 
But Stafford is someone where he can run everything that they want. Like you want to run the play action boot stuff, but he can do that. If you want to run quick game, he can do that. Uh, if you're trying to maybe get to your check down, he can do that efficiently. He, he, I guess, like for lack of a better term, McVay has his, you know, big boy quarterback, and they have hit the ground running. I, I'm a little interested to see what happens with this defense long term because uh, I know their, their their stats have been crazy, but uh, I don't. I'm not sure the the switch to Raheem Morris has gone quite as smoothly as they would like as a whole. Uh, but when you're talking about a defense that has what I I think are the two best defensive players in the league, and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Uh, and then you have you know your veteran quarterbacks on the other side that's just torching dudes right now. That's a team that can get pretty far. And, and the Bucks are going to be, I mean, they're, they're a powerhouse team right now. Uh, they're they're loaded on both sides of the ball. Uh, Tom Brady is just somehow playing insane football once again at 44 years old. Uh, so I think that they're the Super Bowl favorites in the NFC. But I would give the Rams the best chance to knock them off just because of the staff that brought to them. Charles McDonald from For the Win with us. Uh, I know you wrote about it. Is Kyler Murray the most fun player in the NFL? Uh, he's definitely been the most fun player in the last two weeks. I actually just wrote about it this morning uh, in a comp for the win. I mean, they're they're playing like backyard football almost, uh, and, and and it's weird because they're 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 spending so much time like out of structure when it comes to their plays. Uh, not not you know not not that that is like a Cliff Kingsbury thing. I, I almost feel like that that's how. Kyler just likes to play where, you know, he, he's got the speed. He kind of looks like he runs a four, three out there. He's got uh, a ridiculous arm, tremendous deep accuracy. Like we saw uh, on that last play to Christian Kirk uh, in the fourth quarter versus the Vikings. I mean, they, they just have, uh, they're, they're able to build like a lot of explosive plays off schedule, which I think might be hard to replicate as the season goes on because you just kind of can't bank on always being able to run away from sacks and finding guys downfield. But Hey, for two weeks, it works. I mean, Kyler is playing football like when you're building a Madden franchise and you just want to find a quarterback who can throw it real far and run real fast and you just run around and find open guys. That's what he's doing. And, and I think that one big thing that has helped uh, that has helped them throughout the first two weeks is you subbed out Larry Fitzgerald, who you know obviously is an all-time great, but last year he wasn't very good, and they were just kind of force-feeding him because he's Larry Fitzgerald. You sub in Rondell Moore, uh, you bring in A.J. Green, you get younger, faster, and you still have a veteran presence at uh, receiver. And I think we're seeing that work in a big way uh, for the Cardinals offense because I don't think that when you look at Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he, he's not really a guy when he was in college that was used to having a big, slow slot receiver like Larry Fitzgerald. He, he always had guys that could run a little bit. And now he's, he's starting to get that personnel back uh, in the NFL. Christian Kirk has had a pretty good start to the season, too. I mean, this went from an offense that was, that, that had like a, do that quarterback, do that receiver in Hopkins, but was kind of slow everywhere else to, you know, an offense that feels like they're just kind of littered with explosive passing game weapons. Why do you think the league hasn't put Deshaun Watson on the commissioner's list, and are they just waiting for them to, for Houston to activate him and it'll happen right away? It's almost like it's a game of chicken, like one's waiting for the other. I, I think that, honestly, I think that they're, they haven't put him on the commissioner's list because, the Texans, in a way, are doing that for them by just having him not play every week. Because mm-hmm. you know, when you think about what the commissioner's exempt list is, it's essentially just paid leave. Like that's what we call it at normal jobs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not you're not at work, but you're still collecting the checks, and that's basically what Deshaun Watson's doing right now. Uh, David Culley had to slip up after the game where Tyra got hurt earlier uh, this week. 
where he said he didn't know, and then, you know, they came back the next day and said, oh, wait, no, he's not playing. We can't do this. Uh, and I think it's just an optics thing. And, you know, this, this league is something that throughout the course of history, and especially since uh, Roger Goodell has been commissioner, they're very reactive. They're not proactive. So they're just kind of waiting to see what happens. And uh, I think that they're trying to avoid a case where uh, Deshaun Watson is on the commissioner's exempt list for, like, I don't know, a year, two years, because we don't know how long this, uh, you know, all the uh, uh, the allegations uh, are going to, how long all that stuff is going to take. So, look, the Texans are kind of doing Roger Goodell's job for him right now. Uh, everyone seems to be, I, I guess, con- I don't know if content is the right word, but fine operating like this, and we'll see what happens in the future. Well, he is Charles McDonald from For the Win. Follow him on Twitter at For Verts. Charles, thank you as always. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for having me. It's a good point that they're they're kind of doing it for them because we were talking yeah. about it earlier. Like, you know, hey, you guys are not activating. Why would we step in? Yeah. Coming up next, UNLV football. Uh, not looking good. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. I feel like Fresno State's like the best team in California. <laughs> Fresno State, they got, like, if you're a kid and you want to go play college football in California, I'd pick. I mean, what, we beat UCLA four times in a row. How are we not in the Pac-12? I don't know. That's just crazy. I just had to throw that out there. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. We're going to get some UNLV football here in a second. One quick tweet from Adrian Wozniarowski. Ben Simmons is not going to report to the opening of training camp next week and intends to never play another game for the 76ers. The drama. The drama. So we'll get more into Ben Simmons and the 76ers a little bit later. But UNLV football has some quarterback drama. Um, But maybe it ends up not being much drama this week at all. Doug Brumfield, Steve Cofield just tweeted out that Doug Brumfield is at practice. Um, And we also have this update from Sam Gordon. Tate Martell has a walking boot. Yeah. Saw the picture. He took a picture of it. So basically what's happened here is UNLV got about two halves of good play out of Doug Brumfield. And then he got hurt. And Justin Rogers had to finish the second game against Arizona State. And then Doug Brumfield could not play against uh, Iowa State, which left a Cameron Friel, Tate Martell, who knows exactly what's happening, but one of them's on the field at any random point during the game, and UNLV's offense looking incompetent. If Doug Brumfield is healthy, it's an easy call for Marcus Arroyo. Doug Brumfield is the starting quarterback, and it appears as though he practiced yesterday, he's practicing today, that he will be healthy. But I guess the question is, if he's not healthy or if he were to get hurt again, what the hell happens next for the quarterback? Well, let me stop you right there because you said this is what we know. This is what we also know. Now that Sam Gordon has said Tate Martell's in a walking boot, the media has been eliminated from any kind of watching (laughs) practice for the rest of time or as long as Arroyo's the head coach there. Um, I watched the game. I don't know where Tate Martell got hurt, but uh, hopefully it's a quick recovery. You don't want to see kids get hurt. You're right. Brumfield has to be the quarterback if, in fact, he's healthy. If not... I would guess you go Cameron Friel. I don't think you go back to Justin Rogers. You and I said it last week before we went on each other's trips. Uh, probably a great kid. That's all great and, and and well, but your job is to try to win games. I personally 
have seen enough as a reporter, and I think you'll say the same of Justin Rogers. Yes. So I would go Cameron Friel and say, look, this supposedly was when you signed him the future. He was the young guy who was going to be the guy, you know, after Brumfield. So make him the guy now. Um, I mean, obviously they want Brumfield to play, and I think if he's practicing on a, what is it, Tuesday, then he's probably going to play. But, yeah, you go with Cameron Friel and let him play the game. Cameron Friel just – so everyone's aware is the 30th highest ranked recruit in UNLV football history. Okay. Well, since recruiting rankings, which was like the early 2000s. So over the last two decades, he's been the 30th highest ranked recruit. So Cameron Friel like should be decent. Like there's reason to think Cameron Friel could be right. good, but here's, here's what keeps, here's what I cannot figure out. The offense. Well, yes, <laughs> I cannot there's figure out why they are so horrible I don't know. on offense. Cause okay. First off, a comparison to the Tony Sanchez era. Armani Rogers in his career completed less than 50% of his passes. UNLV still looked like it had a competent offense mm-hmm. almost every single game with Armani Rogers completing less than 50% of his passes. They had some bad games in there, no doubt about it. But there was never really a time you went in and thought, oh, they might get shut out, right? There was always, yeah, they're going to put up some points. They just can't stop anybody. You hire the offensive coordinator from Oregon, and we have seen nine games, and I don't know that we've seen anything good offensively. And if you look at the quarterback options that he has, take Cameron Friel. This is a kid who's the 30th best recruit in UNLV history. Take Doug Brumfield, who's a little bit behind Cameron Friel, but still one of the 50 best recruits that UNLV has ever had. Recruited by Sanchez. Yeah, and one of the 10 best quarterbacks that UNLV has ever recruited in the last 20 years. You have Justin Rogers, who's a transfer from TCU that used to be a top 100 player. You have Tate Martell, also used to be a top 100 player. Obviously, their careers didn't go how they thought because they're at UNLV now and not Ohio State or TCU or Miami. But there is enough, you would think there is enough talent between those four that you would be able to piece together something that looks like a legitimate football team. And that has not happened for this offense. And I cannot figure out, is it just the offensive line is so bad they can't do anything? Is that the answer? I'm not so sure, but I would like to ask you this. Did you ever think, not to make fun, but I'm serious here. It's a serious question. Did you ever think when we watched Armani and his you know, his limitations as a thrower, he, he a lot of broken plays, Armani could make plays, that you would say the next, let's say, era of quarterbacks from UNLV that he would have been that much better than not I don't think I would have. No, no, not this I mean, much better. I could have gotten the argument, hey, it's a running offense. He's a really good runner. Yeah, he's very like, good. Broken that, plays. That he was good. you something. But the fact that like. But it seems like these kids can't do this right, at all. That you're right now. Wouldn't you every UNLV football fan take our money? Oh, Rogers in a back? second. No, in a second. Like, <laughs> in a second. And that's crazy to think of yeah. how bad. I should have. I should have phrased the question that way. Yeah. Would they take him? And he's in still playing, by the way, at Ohio. He's still playing. Got the COVID year back. Yeah, he came back for his right. super senior. He's still playing. I think he's a backup, run some gadget plays, but he's playing college football.